Good morning, church family. Good to be in the house of the Lord. God is good. <laughs> I'm just going to assume your, your mask is holding back your exuberance. Uh, certainly a season of life in which I think there is much to be concerned about. And our faith is of such a nature that it is not dismissive of challenges. We are not asked to walk into the sanctuary and simply become free or rid of all that burdens, all that challenges, all that we carry. But when we walk into a place of worship, we are invited to turn our eyes to the one who is able to do not only for us, but for this world, what it needs. So I want to invite you this morning to put your faith in the living God, to remember His faithfulness, and to recognize His presence. Would you join me this morning in prayer? Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Come, sweet Spirit, we pray. Come in your strength and your power. Come in your own gentle way. Father, we are your people. We gather together today as an act of faith that you are indeed the Lord of our lives and of all creation. We recognize that as we gather, we may have had different experiences this past hours and week. That for some of us, today is a day that is very normal, and for others, perhaps it is a day that is different. For some of us, we have come to church hoping for a word from you and hoping to connect to you. And maybe for others, we have stepped into this church in need of something that we don't know how to access without you. For some of us, we are here to praise your name, for we have learned that the, the joy of the Lord is indeed our strength. And maybe there are some for whom the normalcy, the normality of gathering on a Sunday is just the normalcy we crave in a season of so much change. But Father, whatever brings us through these doors... May we, each and every one of us, meet with you. We, Lord, worship the God who said that he is with us and that he is present. And so in faith, we believe your word and we trust your promises. Amen. Luke chapter 4, 
And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Or perhaps these days we'd say if you have your smart devices. On silent, of course. Would you turn to Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to read from verse 14 through to 21. The beginning of the Galilean ministry. Then... Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. I'll just pause there for a second and tell you what next week's sermon is about. It's about when the praise turns to criticism. And when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. Jesus was thoroughly Jewish, following the customs of a Jewish male. He was also considered a rabbi, and so he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and then get this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. But he wasn't done. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The word of the Lord. Do we matter to the world in which we live? Does our faith in Jesus have any bearing upon the situations, the circumstances, the relationships we share? As people of faith in Jesus who profess to be followers of Jesus, perhaps a more pointed question that I ask myself is, does my following of Jesus actually impact my daily living in such a way that it changes life, circumstances, relationships. If I was to ask the question out of the text, perhaps I would ask it this way, are we bearers of good news, freedom, healing, liberation, and hope in the places we find ourselves and in the relationships we have. 
in these days where everyone is just clinging a little harder to that which we can control and know, in a season of life that feels disorienting to many, it's perhaps understandable that many of us are not asking this question of how does my faith move beyond my own security and actually move me by the grace of God and the power of His Holy Spirit to live in a way that embodies the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to sit next to you and hear this message today because I get the sense sometimes that, that you know, uh, it's easy for preachers to say stuff. And not be sympathetic to the realities of daily life. Let's just be honest, and I don't always want to do it this way and say life can be tough, but let's be honest, life can be tough. Challenges do come our way. Circumstances that we didn't ask for might beset us. We can find ourselves just kind of clinging to whatever we can to make it through the day. My mom used to say, Stu, live one day at a time. How true that statement has been for many of us. Some of us can just barely muster the strength to put our, our shoes on our feet. And when you get to my age, and I'm still young, you need a, a shoe on to get that shoe on the back of your heel. I have a really long one. My, my son discovered recently the joys of technology, shoehorn technology. He was standing next to me, and he was struggling, and he's young and nimble and flexible, and I'm not. And I just took that shoe on, and I stuck it in the back of my shoe, and it was on in a flash, and I was ready to go. And he was like, what? And he grabbed it and then used it. I like it when I can mentor him. Maybe this is a season of life that is very difficult and challenging to think about what it means to embody good news. The Apostle Paul, when he speaks to the Corinthian church, a church that was struggling with several challenges within, makes a statement. He says that Jesus became sin so that we may become God's righteousness. I like to translate that for you. I think Paul is teaching the church that Jesus became like us so that we may become like him. The challenge is often that we don't really believe that. We look at ourselves and our deficiencies and our inadequacies, or we look at others and we see the deficiencies and the inadequacies, or we look at the church and we see the deficiencies and the inadequacies, and instead of faith in the Word of God that says we can become God's righteousness in this world, we tend to disbelieve the Word of God in light of our own experience, perceptions, and knowledge. But for those who follow Jesus, we dare to in faith believe that what Jesus has done enables us to live the kind of life that Jesus lived. Jesus breathed His Spirit into His disciples, empowering them to do and carry on the very work that He has begun. The church is infused Blessed, 
gifted by the power of the Spirit of God Himself. The same Spirit that was in Jesus has been breathed upon the church. If you study the Gospel of Luke in its opening and the Acts of the Apostles, the operating person in both those narratives is the Holy Spirit that not only births the Messiah divinely through an ordinary human vessel like Mary, but births the church in Acts 2 through the power and infilling of God's Spirit, making the ordinary capable of the godly. Dare we believe that by the same Spirit, we can embody the good news of Jesus Christ. Dare we believe that as people committed to following Jesus, that as we rely upon His Spirit, more is possible than we have thought is possible. Dare we believe that as the church is in a season where we are sparsely gathering with masks on our face, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can still embody the hope of Jesus Christ. Dare we believe that no circumstance and no challenge that the evil one brings upon us or within our sphere of influence is greater than he who indwells us. Come on, church. This is not even in my notes. And so our text, I think, helps us in a challenging way. You know, when, when I preach and the text selection flows into the next week, and I'm going to read beyond chapter uh, verse 21, uh, we, we will talk about the, the other side of, of the good news uh, next week. But I, I want to lean in today to how we get to embody good news in difficult times. The scripture tells us that Jesus returns home. It is true that sometimes living out our faith is toughest in our own families and homes among the people who know us, who see us get up and go to bed. Can I get an amen? And yet Jesus returns home. His fame had been spreading. His uh, Ministry was effective. Uh, People were talking about him. It was creating a buzz. And no doubt, this news traveled back to Nazareth where he was from. But it's interesting. Nazareth is is a nothing place, biblically. It's the kind of place that there was no expectation anything significant would happen or any significant person would come from. In fact, if you study the Scriptures closely, when Jesus called some of his first disciples and some of them heard that he was from Nazareth, one of them said, What? Can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, Nazareth is the kind of place that you leave in order to find significance. You don't stay in. Some of us, perhaps, and and I'm not going to say anything demeaning of rural living, I think it's wonderful. The older I get, the more I want to be away from people. Pray for me. (laughs) 
I can't believe I just said that. But some of us who come from these rural towns and villages may, may at times understand what I'm saying. The opportunities are not there, and, and, and certainly you don't get noticed in these places like you would in the big centers, and so there's this, 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 this desire to move away. Nazareth is the kind of place you didn't expect much from. And, and I think it's fascinating how places shape how we think about ourselves and the perspectives we have. I've been your pastor long enough for you to know that my upbringing in a particular place called Cape Town and in a particular time of apartheid has undoubtedly shaped a large part of who you see before you today. Some of you I've heard speak about your upbringing in Saskatchewan, and I can't adequately relate to what that was like for you. But when I look at you, I can see Saskatchewan still in you. Some of you were raised in, in other countries that are, are not familiar with the term wind chill or minus temperatures. And when I'm with you, I can hear the pain, the hurt, the desire for a return to a place that perhaps comforts and is warm. I feel your pain. I think it's important to consider how places shape us. And the perspectives we carry. And so I wonder, this is some imaginative preaching on the text. I wonder what the outlook of the people in Nazareth was. I, I wonder if they lived with this depressed sense of who they were. Certainly in the biblical days, where you came from mattered a great deal. Certainly some of them who were devout religious Jews knew that as they looked back through their history and the text that has gone before them, that no one pinpointed Nazareth as significant at all. Maybe these are the kinds of folks who just didn't expect much from themselves because where they came from. And yet, out of this narrative, out of this reality, out of this space and place arises Jesus. Jesus, who, who becomes so much more than Nazareth expected. Jesus that returns with, with, with a sense of mission and purpose to his own people and family. I think when Jesus returns to Nazareth, you know, some of them would say, oh, here comes Mary and Joseph's boy. Remember when... You know, I wonder that, that if we put ourselves in the story, we get the sense that Jesus is returning to the familiar where there is perspectives of who he has. In fact, Jesus would say elsewhere that a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. That sometimes amongst those who know us, we're not that impressive. I want you to consider with me for a second the space and place that has shaped your outlook and expectations. I want you to think with me that which is formed in you, the person you are today. L let me put it to you this way, that places can have power over perspectives and difficult or places that we don't expect much from can also become Places where Jesus shows up 
incarnating for us the hope of God that can be present even in those places and even to people whom not much is expected from. There is not a week that passes by in my own following of Jesus where something in, in, in my experience as a, as a Calgarian reminds me of how far my journey has brought me. My brother and I FaceTime. What a great gift that is. <laughs> we both look this way now. Like <laughs> I, I measure how old I am in comparison to him because he's a few years older than me. And, and, and I, I'll look at, and he'll be in his shorts and t-shirt. I got to be honest. I, I feel a little envious some days. But when I speak to my brother and I hear how he speaks and you know, and remember that is once how I spoke. I, <laughs> I'm reminded of where I come from. And I have to be honest with you. I never came to Canada with this, this sense of up and to the right. I, I wasn't seeking to climb ladders. <laughs> I wasn't looking to become the DS. Nobody's saying Amen. But when I look back and I look where the Lord has brought me from, I can even see in the place where I had a perspective of life that was limited, a perspective of life that was shaped by a political narrative that was demeaning, even when I think about the experience of loss in my own life when both parents and two siblings died in a car accident, I certainly want to say, can anything good come from my life? I wonder sometimes whether... Jesus has more faith in me than I have in myself. You see, when Jesus shows up in the synagogue, he, he is challenging perhaps the prevailing perspectives of those who lived there. He, he, we, we know he does because when he stands up and he, he chooses, by the way, there's there's no, there's no history to suggest that they had prescribed readings at the time of Jesus in the synagogue. Even if they did give him just the scroll of Isaiah, the chances are not that they prescribed what he read, but he intentionally read from Isaiah chapter 61. And he reads to a people who perhaps... Don't expect much to come from them, and maybe that's the hurdle for them, that they can't really see who Jesus is because they know him. You know, sometimes I have found that I don't quite know God like I think I do. 
You know, sometimes I operate with this kind of naivety and perhaps pride that I grasp, that I get it, that I know. You know, the older I become and the more I depend on the Spirit of God, the more humble I become because I anticipate that there's times in which Jesus will reveal things about who he is that I just didn't contemplate before. And the older I become, the less likely I want my perspectives to be challenged. The older I become, the less I want to be wrong. The more secure I desire to be, the more I become close to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, Jesus takes something old, something known, Something believed, something hoped for, that had yet to be fulfilled for the people, and he reads himself into it. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you know what that reference is? It's first found in Leviticus chapter 25. It is called the year of Jubilee. After seven cycles of Sabbath, in the 50th year, after the 49th Sabbath celebration, the people of God was supposed to practice what would be called jubilee. The word jubil itself takes its inference from the word trumpet. It means to announce, to proclaim, to celebrate the coming of God, the freedom of the people. In the year of jubilee, Israel was to let things rest. Their land was not to be worked. They were supposed to set slaves free. They were supposed to forgive debts. In the history we have of Scripture, not once is it referenced that Israel practiced jubilee. And when Jesus stands in the midst of a people who are anticipating a Messiah and perhaps had started losing hope, he pronounces in their presence that that which was impossible for them is now possible through him. The scripture Jesus references is from the prophet Isaiah. Biblical scholars tell us that Isaiah 61 was kind of in what they call third Isaiah. Third Isaiah is thought to happen around, I think, 540 BC. It was a time in which the people of God were returning from exile. They had hope that their day of waiting was over, that they could return to the place they once knew. Yet their hope would quickly become despair because they would face the stark reality of what has been destroyed by the Babylonians and the enormous challenge of trying to rebuild it. It's interesting that the prophet 
would speak these words at such a time like this. I think the people in Nazareth too, living under the oppression of Rome, living in a place where they perhaps felt ignored, on the side of the road, not noticed, too, were anticipating a deliverance and had been waiting for a long time. I think it is true today, more than any other time in my life's experience, that the church feels the same kind of dislocation that the people of Israel felt and the first century Jew did. We are wondering, we are somewhat hopeful, perhaps we are anxious, perhaps we're just kind of questioning. I can tell you this, that Scripture is not only intended to inform us of what has been, but through Scripture we see what God can do in the present and what He has promised to do unto the end. When we hear these words of Scripture, hear your pastor well, we're not just hearing what Jesus spoke in fulfillment of what was promised to Israel. We do not only hear what Jesus spoke to those gathered in the synagogue. We sit as those at the feet of Jesus, fixed on Him, hearing words spoken of hope and truth that what God has said He would do through His Son, He has done and He will continue to do. The question is, Can we hear the promises of God for us today? I want to end with two suggestions. The first is simply this, that we can only embody this good news, live into the promises of God and the hope that we have, and practice the kind of faith that is needed with God's help. Do you notice that in the text, Jesus is filled with the Spirit? There's a simple question to ask. If Jesus relied so much upon the Spirit, how much more do we need the Spirit? Let me put it to you this way. I think it's the Apostle Paul that says to the Galatians, why would you try to finish what God has begun in you in your own strength? <laughs> you know, there's the, 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 this, 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 this cry of the church historically has been this, come, come Holy Spirit. You know, there's moments where I look at all the challenges we face and I feel the tension and the pain. I hear your conversations. I hear your angst. I hear the questions that are being asked. I sometimes pay attention to Facebook. And I feel the weight of it all. And you know what the sin is that can easily beset me as a pastor is that I think that ultimately I hold the answers, that I have the magic solution. I've grown enough to know that God always participates with me, with us, that He doesn't want to work apart from us, but never should we mistake that that which God wants to do in our world, we can do in our own power, and in our own strength. So the church in this season, if it wants to bear good news, if it wants to proclaim the hope of Jesus when everybody's holding their purses a little tighter, 
Everybody is making sure that their doors are locked just a little bit more securely. Where everybody is just tightening that, that mask a little tighter. Avoiding the person who has a sneeze or a cough. In a season where, 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 where we, we walk into sanctuaries that are sparsely populated and we wonder about the future of the church, I want to remind us, I want to remind you as I remind myself that our hope is in the Lord alone. That the presence of God is real. That in this moment, if you doubt it, you can ask for it and say, come Holy Spirit. Work in my heart and in my mind, instill within me the courage and confidence to face my todays and to entrust my tomorrows to you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Friends, I was on my knees this week begging God, begging God, Pour out your spirit into your servant. For Lord, I need you. I need a fresh anointing, a fresh outpouring, so that I may live a life that brings good news to others. I need your spirit to infill my heart so that with my wife and with my children, there is the grace of God. Sometimes it's hard to think about all that's wrong in the world when we cannot even embody good news in our homes. My friends, let me challenge you personally. It begins with those closest to you. Will you be filled with the Spirit? Will you rely upon the Spirit? We have examples of when this has happened before. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends about, upon ordinary men. And we often pay attention to the powerful gift of speaking in foreign tongues that are attributed to them. But if we read further, we soon learn that the Holy Spirit's purpose was to transform these men into agents of good news. In Acts 2, we read that they met together, they prayed together, they worshiped together, they witnessed together, and the Lord added to their number thousands who were being saved. What we see in Acts 2, Jesus shows us in Luke 4, that in the anointing, under the anointing, as the Spirit fills Jesus and fills these disciples, so we are to be filled, so that we would embody the very things that we read today. What would it look like to practice Jubilee? I know what some of you are thinking, because I thought it when I was preparing it. You know what good preaching is? Good preaching is anticipating your, your objections. Stu, if Israel couldn't do it, 
What makes you think we can? Alone we won't. But with God's help, maybe we can be a foretaste of the kingdom. Let me ask some questions as I close. What would it look like for you to leave here today and offer somebody forgiveness that doesn't deserve it? What does it look like for us today to walk out of this room and believe so deeply that the Holy Spirit is upon us and indwells us? that we pray for the sick and anticipate their healing. What does it mean for us to stand in the place of the marginalized, giving up our power so that we may know what it means to suffer and to point them to Jesus? What would it mean for us to live with such a deep faith that when we let go of control, we can trust that God is faithful. Jubilee, in my opinion, was not practiced because we don't like to let go of the things that we like. Jubilee was not practiced by Israel because it requires sacrifice, requires humility, it requires mercy, it requires grace. But how crazy is this? What if? What if in this season God's invitation is just as crazy as that? When the world tightens its purse strings, the church says, who needs help? When the world looks for answers, the church says, here is Jesus. Oh, friends, we gather in his name. Let us live true to his calling. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I know today that we all fall short. That in this season, perhaps we've walked in this morning saying, I need more than I can give. And we thank you that you are compassionate to us because you love us. And so we do come before you as those who stand in need. Perhaps there's some of us that feel poor, some of us that feel oppressed, some of us that feel bound. And the good news of your scripture is for us personally so appropriate today, for we long the good news to take hold of our lives and to change 
our circumstance. But then there are some of us that desire to live in a countercultural way, not living in shame or in fear, but under the anointing and empowerment of your spirit. Not for our own sake, but for the sake of those you've come to save. So we stand before you in our need and in our desire. And we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. Amen.